I want to start by saying welcome to everybody here in the room with us for our Thanksgiving Eve service and everybody joining us online, which I think a lot of you are. So God bless you guys and welcome. Um, tonight we're, we're gathered here to celebrate uh, Thanksgiving and uh, it's Thanksgiving Eve and so we know everybody's going to be uh, full and happy tomorrow as they eat and celebrate, but we're here to, to take time to um, celebrate Thanksgiving in communion by taking communion together as the body of Christ. You know, um, when you get into the scripture and you see, study through and look for words like thanks or give thanks or thanksgiving, um, those words and phrases uh, in their entirety appear about 154 times throughout the entirety of Scripture. But what's really interesting is 46 of those 154 times is in the book of Psalms alone. And if you want to cultivate an attitude of thanksgiving and a heart of thanksgiving, um, Psalms is a great place to camp out and study and to, to spend time there in your own devotions. Because, you know, thankfulness, it's an important concept in the Christian life. And it's an especially important component in answered prayer and finding God in the midst of whatever circumstances we find ourselves. Philippians chapter four, verse six and seven says this, don't worry about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. There's an important lesson in that verse. It's, it's thanksgiving in our prayers that leads us to peace. Peace when we're in difficult circumstances, peace when we're in the great circumstances of life. But the most important thing I think we're to be thankful for and the one thing that truly does allow peace in our lives in every single circumstance is the atoning sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's the thing that changed everything and changes everything. It's changed everything and every single life that has put their faith and their trust in him. His atoning sacrifice has made salvation possible, has made eternal life possible, has made faith, hope, and peace possible. Rest, all that comes with it is possible because of Christ. And so tonight we're going to unpack a few verses in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. And I want to read them to you before we get into a time of worship because it's just setting the, setting the stage here for us. It says, on the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, and when he had given thanks, broke it, and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, he took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And one of the things I really appreciate in the scripture there, in the telling of the Lord's Supper, is, is what we see is after Jesus had given thanks for the bread, and then it says, in the same way he took the cup. And I read that to say he gave thanks for the cup. For both of them, he said, look, take the bread, take the cup, and do this in remembrance of, of me. But the first thing he did was he gave thanks. He gave thanks. And tonight we're gonna to follow his example by taking communion together as the body of Christ. So if you're online and you don't have your communion elements ready, uh, please get those ready because at the end of the message here tonight, we'll be taking, uh, taking communion together. But communion is God saying something very important to us. Communion is God saying, I want you to have the peace of God. 
I want you to have this peace that Scripture talks about that surpasses all understanding. And he wants us to have that peace through thankful remembrance. That's what we do when we take communion together. But first, we're going to follow the example of the psalmists, all of them, and we're going to express our gratitude and our thankfulness to Jesus Christ through praise and worship. And so if you'll join me in prayer right now, Father God, we thank you, Lord, so much for just everything. God, we are called to be thankful people, people of gratitude, Lord, and truly we have much to be thankful for. But God, sometimes we find ourselves in situations in our life where, where we might find it difficult to be thankful, where we're facing challenges or disappointments and, and we just can't see in the opportunity to be thankful. But God, throughout Scripture, we see the opportunity. We see the example of people being thankful no matter what the times are. And so God, tonight, we want to express thankfulness to you for who you are and what you've done, God. And as we celebrate communion together, that as we remember your death on the cross for us, God, that the thankfulness we express by remembering your death would lead to the actions of living in obedience to you. To live a life that says, God, I am so grateful for what you did for me. I, I, I want to do what you're calling me to do and live how you're calling me to live. But Lord, we want to open up tonight by just praising your name and worshiping you because you are worth it. And so, God, we just ask that you would be blessed while we lift up these praises to you and that you would bless us tonight as we remember what you did for us. God, we love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Like I said, tonight we're gathered here to talk about Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving itself is a holiday that is all about remembering. For many of us, we're going to try and remember not to eat too much, right? For some of us, we're trying to remember where the perfect spot to take that after-feasting food coma nap is going to be. For others, others of us, it's remembering which Black Friday sale has the thing you just really want to get. But we're called to remember stuff that is far more important than that. You know, the purpose of Thanksgiving um, was to honor and remember the early settlers to America and the Native Americans who came together for a historic feast. And that's why we largely remember Thanksgiving by feasting. We gather together for the big Thanksgiving meal and we get together around that table and we eat and we remember. Well, there's another holiday that was wrapped around remembering, and it was incidentally the holiday that Jesus and his disciples were celebrating the night that he was instituting the Lord's Supper, the night he instituted communion. And the holiday they were celebrating at that time was Passover, which was arguably the most significant season of the year for the Jewish people in Jesus's day, and it is still an extremely significant time for Jewish people today. Now, at the Passover meal, which was called the Passover Cedar, there was this whole meal that they would go through that was a retelling of the story of, of Israel's exodus from, from uh, Egypt. And as over the course of this meal, there was all these different elements that were meant to call to remembrance different parts of this story, all about remembering God's deliverance of them from the oppression and slavery that they were under there in Egypt. Well, Jesus with his disciples on this particular night in the upper room are remembering that by celebrating together this Passover meal. And so 
Like I said, there was lots of elements to this meal, and we're not going to go through a whole Passover cedar tonight. We've actually had a, a friend of ours um, come, and he's a, a Messianic Jew who's done a ministry here, walking us through the Passover at times past, and we might have him come, come back in 2023 to share that with us. But we do have video of that on our YouTube channel if you're interested in walking through all the significance of that Passover meal. But one of the elements of the Passover cedar meal was, was the matzah bread. It was this unleavened bread that was a significant part of this celebration. And unleavened bread meant that it had no yeast in it. And the reason the bread was unleavened was because it was called or meant to call to memory that when Ezra, Israel fled Egypt, they had to do so in a hurry. God said, it's time to go, let's go. And so they didn't have time for the bread to rise. And so they, were, they, were, they grabbed this bread, they, they took out and, and, and left. Now, scripturally, leaven is often seen and used as a symbol of sin. And so in that concept of Israel taking this unleavened bread and leaving Israel or, or Egypt quickly, the fact that they were leaving without the leaven also carried the concept that they were leaving sin behind in Egypt. They were leaving the sin behind. They were leaving disobedience to God behind. They were leaving that. And then we know that, that Egypt was a type of the world, and so it's a whole picture of our salvation and us coming to Christ, that when we come to Christ, when we receive the freedom of salvation, we are leaving the world behind. We are leaving sin behind. We are leaving disobedience behind and pursuing a new life with a new nature, one that's called to obey God. And so traditionally, as a part of this cedar meal, the bread was broken at the meal. Now, in the traditional Jewish culture or the non-Messianic culture, they would call this bread the bread of affliction because for them, what the bread represented is one part of the broken bread represented that the, the food they ate in slavery. It was considered um, food that they, they were eating under oppression, and the other part of the broken bread represented the freedom represented the bread they then ate when they were liberated from Egypt. But in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty three, 23, Jesus is introducing to his disciples a whole brand new thing. Really what I think he is saying is, um, you guys kind of missed the point the whole time. And so, so let me bring you up to speed here. 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23. said, the Lord Jesus took the bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So there was this whole brand new thing that Jesus wanted his disciples to remember, specifically regarding the symbolism of this bread as a part of this meal. Now we're going to deal with that a little bit later, but first, I want to look at the concepts of thanksgiving and remembrance biblically, and then we'll get back to why Jesus gave these particular instructions and what he wants us to remember in communion. But if you remember earlier, I said in this whole story here, one of the first things Jesus did and the first things that he examples for us is it says he gave thanks. He gave thanks. Now, what does it mean when it says that Jesus gave thanks or had given thanks? We all understand that concept, right? Giving thanks simply means to express appreciation for, for benefits or appreciation for blessings in our lives. But the concept of giving thanks is all over Scripture. It's all over the Old Testament and it's all over the New Testament. And if you get into word studies, which, which I really like to do, if, if any of you have ever noticed, <laughs> um, one of the most common Hebrew words used in the Old Testament that is translated into giving of thanks is this word yada, or yada. Some of you may have heard a phrase in our modern parlance, yada, 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 right? But it's this word yada. 
And this word yada means to throw, to shoot, or to cast. And you go, that's interesting. What does that have to do with Thanksgiving? Because 53 times in the Old Testament, yada is translated praise, even though the definition is to shoot, to throw, or to cast. 32 times in the Old Testament, yada is translated give thanks. Interestingly enough, 16 times it's translated confess. But only one time in the Old Testament is the word yada, which has the definition to throw, to shoot, or cast, only one time is it translated shoot, as in shooting an arrow. Now, this word in its translations and how it's used in the Old Testament, and you read the different places where, where it's seen, the idea of yada being to throw, to shoot, or cast, being translated praise or to give thanks, is the idea of throwing out your hands in praise and thanksgiving. It's, it's this throwing out of your arms, just like, God, I am so thankful for you. It's why in worship, we often say, you know, if you want to raise your hands, raise your hands. Lift your hands to God. It's this idea of opening yourself up in thanks to God himself. It's an outwardly acknowledging what is right about God in praise and thanksgiving. But it's also an outward acknowledgement of self before God, which is why it's also translated confess. That when we come to God and we give thanks to him for telling us who we really are. God, thank you for telling me I'm a sinner. Now you might think, that's weird. Nobody in the world likes to be calling a sinner, right? Ever been trying to share your faith with someone and you go, we're all sinners. They're like, don't you call me a sinner. Don't judge me. But this idea of yadah and the idea of, of confessing is the idea of giving thanks to God for the reality, for saying, hey, you're a sinner, but not just that, but I've, I've paid the price for you, that, that I'm your atoning sacrifice, that I'm the one that will, that will take care of the issue. It's this idea of coming before God in complete openness and thanking him for all his truth about who we are and who he is and how that all works together. And it's this idea of God, thank you for being perfect and holy and mighty. And God, thank you for telling me who I am. And God, in that, in my thankfulness of that, I confess before you that what you say about sin is right and true and what you say about me and my life is right and true. I confess before you, God, that I'm a sinner and I'm guilty before you and I thank you for that revelation. That's this idea of yada. In the New Testament, the most common word that is translated to thanks or give thanks is this word eucharisteo you might have thinking, be thinking about the word the Eucharist, which is a word that is used to refer to this idea of communion and coming together in this celebration. It happens to be the word that is translated in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four when it says that Jesus gave thanks. And it simply means, means to show oneself grateful, to be thankful, or to give thanks. But it carries the idea of not just verbalizing thanks, but having an attitude of gratefulness having an attitude or being a grateful person. And so biblical thanksgiving is a mental and verbal expression of one's acknowledgement and one's appreciation for who God is, what, what God has given, the grace he has given, the blessings he has given, God's definition of our sinful state, God's definition of our guilt before him, but then also thanks for his sovereign work in our lives and in our world when it comes to his offer of salvation and the sanctification that he works through us through the Holy Spirit. And so this word eucharisteo in the New Testament that is translated here, give thanks, as it talks about Jesus gave thanks, it's so much more than a polite thanks, right? And, and we do that, right? Especially when, when someone gives us a gift that we're, we're not really excited about. 
Thanks. Right? That's the polite thing to say. Or we're just like genuinely like, hey, I appreciate what you've done, but there's not real excitement about it, so it's just thanks. It's, it's so much more than that. This word eucharisteo, or the idea of giving thanks biblically in the New Testament, it's a focused, energetic, intentional outpouring of praise to God for who he is and what he's done. And that giving of thanks involves the remembering of what he did and then results in the expression of thanks towards him. And, and we really have so much to give God thanks for. I mean, even in our deepest, darkest times, if nothing else, we have salvation. And that is worth giving God thanks for. That is worth praising him for. I mean, I've said before, and I used to say it in, in youth ministry and stuff when I was working with kids, I'm like, you know, if God saved you and then never did anything else positive in your life for the rest of your life, you still owe him everything because he saved your eternal soul. But God doesn't just save us and then leave us to the wolves, so to speak. He still works in and through our lives and blesses us and teaches us and leads us. So we have a lot to give thanks for. And when we come to the Lord's table in the celebration of communion, what we're doing is a pure act of thanksgiving. It is a pure act of thanksgiving. Thanks for the most important thing that has ever happened to us. Thanks for the most important thing. But the idea of that thanksgiving is it's by remembering what he did. And so remembering what Christ did for us is one of the ways that we give thanks for him. But what is remembering biblically, right? If I asked you, what does it mean to remember something? You might go, oh, it means to recollect information. You know, oh, I remember this or I remember that. But, but biblically, this idea of remembering is way more than just a recollection of information. Remembering in a biblical context is, is something that usually leads to or results from purposeful action. And it's an integral part of worship, right? We remember what God's done for us, and the action is we sing out to him, and we lift our hands in praise, and we express our gratefulness and adoration to him. And it's also an integral part of the function of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. In the Old Testament, the concept of remembering included both thought and deed. We see it all over the place. Genesis chapter 40, verse 14 is an example. That's the story where Joseph was talking to the Pharaoh's butler when he was in jail, and it says this, but when all goes well for you, remember that I was with you. Please show kindness to me by mentioning me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. Now you read that verse and, and, and you shouldn't walk away with, oh, Joseph wanted the butler just to go, oh yeah, he's in jail. And leave it at that. No, what he means by remember me is do something to, to help me. Do something to get me out of prison. He's urging the butler to take positive action to help him. And then in Exodus chapter 2, verse 24, it says, God heard their groaning, and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And if you're a Bible student, you know that Exodus doesn't stop right there after chapter 2. But then you have this wonderful story of God's remembering led to his deliverance of Israel out of Egypt. And we have the stories of the Red Sea and the all these wonderful things God did. He took action. And that was a part of this concept is he remembered them. He remembered them. He remembered their plight. He remembered what they were doing. And then he took action as a result of that remembering. You know, there's many other prayers in the Old Testament from Moses and Samson and Hezekiah and Nehemiah and Jeremiah and many others where they prayed and you read their prayers and they say, God, remember us, remember me, remember your people. 
And they weren't just pleading for God to recollect their existence. What they're saying is, God, take action on our behalf. That's this Old Testament idea of remembering. Now, in the New Testament, we see a similar thing. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, imitate me as I also imitate Christ. Now, I praise you because you remember me in everything and hold fast to the traditions just as I delivered them to you. Again, remembrance is not just a recollection, but it's meant to be something that results in appropriate action. And for them, Paul says, look, I, I, I praise you. I'm so proud of you guys because you remember me in everything doing what? Holding fast to the traditions taking action to do something that says, oh, I remember Paul and I want to, I wanna, you, know, um, um, you know, do right by Paul by doing right by God. And that was his whole idea of imitate me as I imitate Christ. Live the way I do. Remember me by taking the action to be obedient. Also attached to this idea of remembering in Scripture is the idea of a memorial. You know, the Hebrew word for remember can also mean a tomb or a grave. And we get the concept today, you know, we have a holiday we celebrate called Memorial Day. And it's the day where, where we remember soldiers who had lost their lives, right? Some people are like, oh, that's barbecue day. No, it's far more than barbecue day, right? And on Memorial Day, you often see pictures of these, these, these um, um, grave sites. And, and there's just the white crosses, right? Sea of white crosses as far as the eye can see as, as it's meant to remember those who gave their lives, but in Exodus 12, 14, God was speaking to the children of Israel specifically about the annual Passover celebration, and he says this, this day is to be a memorial for you, and you must celebrate it as a festival to the Lord. You are to celebrate it throughout your generations as a permanent statute. You see, that idea of memorial there, the concept of a memorial, is that when you look at a memorial, when you observe a memorial, it's meant to bring you back in a sense. It's meant to bring you back, to remember in such depth that it's like you're there. To remember something in such vivid detail that it, it, it's like you're experiencing it all over again for the first time. That's this idea of remembering that, that we see in Scripture. And he says there that each generation of the Jews that were celebrating the Passover, as they celebrated this Passover meal and got together, they weren't just to rec recollect, oh yeah, hey, our, our ancestors were in Egypt once and they got up, that's cool, let's eat. But they were to regard themselves as they were celebrating the meal and remembering what happened and what God did with Israel, they were to regard themselves as having been personally brought out of Egypt, as if they were there for the whole event. And in a sense, it was like they were to relive the experience of their ancestors. One commentator put it this way. He said, such is the nature of the remembering that not only does it enable the individual to feel as though they were the participant, but it ensures that the blessings appropriated in the events of history are made authentic for the present. And that is exactly what Jesus meant when he said, do this in remembrance of me. There's a danger for Christians, I think, in communion becoming routine, to, to become mundane, to just become, oh, that's one of those things we do in church, right? Here at Hosanna, we, we generally celebrate communion on the first Sunday of every month. 
And then when we have like holiday months, like November and December, we, we change the date. We're celebrating communion tonight. And then next month, we'll be celebrating at our New Year's Day service and starting the year with that. And, and different traditions and faiths do it different ways. Some do it every single Sunday. Um, it, it, it's not the idea of, of how often you do it, but the danger is, is however you do it, that it becomes mundane, that it becomes routine. Because reality is every single time we come to the communion table, every single time we come to that, that place and we partake together, we're, we're meant to stop. To stop thinking about life and to stop thinking about our problems and to stop thinking about our victories and to stop thinking about just all of that stuff around us and in communion, we're to set everything else aside and remember who we were before we knew Christ. But before we sink into hopeless despair doing that, we're also to remember what Jesus did when he died for us on the cross. We're to remember every detail about all of it. Yes, what he did for us. And, and sometimes we, we remember he was scourged and he was beaten and, and there's some of the really gruesome details of, of the crucifixion and all of that. But even more than that, we're to remember that he did it. That he did it. He did it for you. He did it for me. We're to remember that moment of our own forgiveness and our own salvation. That moment where it clicked, right? That moment where we realized God is real. And he died for me. He died for everything I've ever done wrong. He loves me so much that if I just call out to him, he'll forgive me and wipe me clean of every wrongdoing I've ever, he's already paid the price in that moment where we said, God, I believe in you. Come into my life, right? Remember that moment. To remember that moment the burden was lifted from our shoulders. To relive and re-experience that moment when we were granted new life and the freedom that comes because of him. When we come to the communion table and we, we come to give thanks for what Jesus did, we give thanks by remembering. And in remembering, it's that idea of, of, of being in that moment when what Jesus did for you first hit your heart. That's the idea. Not that it's like, oh, it's communion again. No, no, it's another opportunity to go, hold on. Jesus saved me. He died for me. I know who I was. I know what I did. And he still said, yeah, but I love you, and I'm going to pay the price for your sin, and I'm going to welcome you in my family if you just trust in me. To be able to do that once a month or once a week or whatever, yeah, it's a big deal. And so it's to participate in that moment, if you will, and bring the blessing and the effect and the result of that moment that happened in your past. Bring it into your heart right now, right in this moment. And so to remember what the bread and cup represent, not just involves remembering that it happened, not just experiencing the moment now, but it also means then to take action because of that. Because remember that biblical remembering. 
It's recollecting something and then taking action as a result of that. And so in communion, we remember what he did, and then we're called to take action, to move forward in gratitude, to move forward in thankfulness, to move forward in saying, God, I want to live for you, and I want to be obedient to you, and and God, I know I've messed up, and oh my gosh, I'm back in that moment. Thank you so much for loving me and dying for me, and and God, just help me to, to, to live the way you want me to live. It's to rest in the peace and the knowledge of our status in Christ because of Christ, that he is in us, that we are in him. It's called holy communion. And so Jesus in 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four, 24, it says he broke the bread, and what he wanted us to remember is he said, this is my body, which is for you. You know, that unleavened bread that Israel was like, oh, this represents the bread we ate in slavery and the bread we ate outside of slavery. Jesus is like, no, no, no. This is my body. It represented the sinless body of Jesus Christ, no leaven. And it also represented the suffering he would endure on the cross. That's why it was broken. Jesus was the sacrifice laid on the altar as payment for our sins. He was the only sacrifice that would appease the wrath of God against injustice and sin and unholiness and ungodliness. Everything Jesus went through as a part of that sacrifice, the beatings, the suffering, all of it, it's, it's what we deserved for our breaking of God's law. It's the penalty that was due to us because Jesus never sinned. Jesus didn't deserve what, what, what he went through. He didn't deserve the beatings and the punishment and the cross and all of that. But he yielded to it willingly because of his great love for us. And so remember the moment that you got it. Remember that moment where you realized you were set free. Receive that. Remember that moment that it hit your heart. And he was telling them and he's telling us that it was his body that would suffer the judgment of God on sin so that ours wouldn't have to. You know, in 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Wow, what a lopsided deal. He became sin. so that God could judge it and not judge us. He became sin. He became our sin. God poured out his wrath on him so that we might become the righteousness of God. The perfection of Jesus Christ, the sinlessness. When God looked at it, it, God the Son here on earth and it was like no sin, just perfectly spotless, no blemish, just absolutely perfection. And God says, yeah, when you put your faith in Jesus Christ, because he stepped in your place and took the wrath of God on sin for you, that in a sense, you get to step into his place and be seen as spotless and perfect. That righteousness that God gives to us. And so there he said, take the bread and eat it and do this in remembrance of me. Do this in studied, focused, intentional, deep recollection of what he did. Do this by putting yourself back in that place and remember that moment when you got it, that he did that for you. Then in verse 25, it says, in the same way he also took the cup and after supper, 
or took the cup after supper and said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. And so in calling the cup the, the new covenant in my blood, Jesus was intentionally contrasting his atoning work on the cross with the old covenant's oceans of blood. If you go in the Old Testament and you read about the old covenant, it was just, it was bloody. Blood everywhere, right? Exodus 24 gives us a full account of the inauguration of the old covenant. And so in, in Exodus 19 through 20, we get the 10 commandments that are delivered, right? And then Exodus chapter 20 through uh, chapter 23, the book of the covenant was read. And then it tells us there that the people responded in one voice. All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And then Exodus 24, verse 5, it says, Then he sent out the young Israelite men, and they offered burnt offerings and sacrificed bulls as fellowship offerings to the Lord. Moses took half the blood and set it in the basins, and the other half of the blood he splattered on the altar. Then he took the covenant scroll and read it aloud to the people, and they said, We will do all that the Lord has commanded. And Moses took the blood and splattered it on the people and said, This is the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you, considering all these words. And you go on to read about the, the whole inauguration of this. It's just everything of significance was doused in blood. Everything. There was half on the altar, half on the people, on the scroll. It, it's just everything dripped with blood as a part of the old covenant. It wasn't a pretty sight, except in its symbolism. Except in its symbolism. You see, the old covenant was launched on a sea of blood for two reasons. One, to, to emphasize how serious sin was. Like blood had to be shed for the breaking of God's law. And then to teach that the payment of penalty of sin was death, and that was the point of the sacrifices. You want your sin covered, something has to die. Because God's law is holy. The problem with the old covenant, however, is that it depended on man's keeping the pledge to obey the law. Right? The people said, all the word that the Lord has spoken we will do. You said it, Lord. Give us the rules we will follow. You could count on us, blood. Yeah, you could count on us. We'll do it. Man, look at all these animals being slaughtered. Look at the altar. Look at the scroll. Look at everything's covered in blood, but we're going to do it, Lord. And they couldn't, not even for one day. It's just oceans of blood. And it was that way all the way until Christ. You know, this temporary solution in the old covenant, it, it, it didn't do anything permanent because it didn't change their heart. It didn't change their nature. It didn't change who they were. It only really served as a, as a band-aid as, as each offense required another sacrifice and then they messed up another sacrifice and they would mess up at another sacrifice. And probably every time, all you said, Lord, I will do. Messed up sacrifice. This time for real. Messed up sacrifice. God, I'm serious now. Messed up sacrifice. Have you ever been there? God, today I vow. Five minutes later. Seriously? And they would have to slaughter and come back and sacrifice over and over and over. And it was that way up until we came to the glory of the new covenant in Christ's blood, which is not oceans of blood, but one person's shed blood. God in the flesh, shed once and for all. On top of that, what that also says is that he was the one that kept the covenant. 
right? The people said, all the word that the Lord has spoken, we will do. Christ is the only one that ever did that. Christ is the only one that ever did that. Not you, not me, not our repeated sacrifices. And he says, remember, it's in and through Christ we fulfill the law. It's in and through Christ. It's his righteousness that is given to us when we put our faith in him. He stepped into our place so that we could step into his place. Jesus was God's permanent answer to the problem of sin. He took it all on himself, past, present, future, by shedding his blood on the altar of eternity to pay the full penalty for sin. And when we put our faith in him and we remember the blood that he shed for us, it's in and through him that it was his shed blood, but the fruit of his perfect obedience to God's laws then bestowed upon us. Wow. So as we come to this, this time of communion together, with our Lord Jesus Christ, you know, let us approach it with, with wonder, with awe. Let us have that, 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 that same moment in our heart, that same experience to relive that moment that we had in our heart when we received Christ and we knew that we were forgiven forever. That no matter how bad it was and no matter how bad it will ever be, every stumble, every mistake, God said, I paid for it. It's atoned for. And so let us look back to the cross and remember what Christ accomplished for us and be reminded of his great and unconditional love for us. We remember that the penalty he paid on the Christ was meant for us. It was our body of death that deserved to be broken. But he said, not you, I'll do it. I'll step into the place of that. And because of the blood of the lamb, our sin has been washed away forever not just covered temporarily, but washed away forever. And in remembering, as we partake of communion in a moment, act, move forward in chosen obedience. Say, God, I wanna live a life that just expresses my gratitude for you for what you've done. Knowing that every stumble you will ever stumble has already been atoned for. And so let the memory of his broken body for you prompt you to live in gratitude and let the memory of his shed blood for you prompt you to live in the freedom from the power of sin in your life. But also I want to come in an attitude of celebration because it's in Christ we have a hope that will never disappoint. We have been given abundant life today and eternal life in heaven, a, a, a beautiful present and a glorious future because of him. We have been united with Christ, given access into the very presence of God, given an ability to come to him at all times and say, Daddy, I need you. And been given the Holy Spirit to live and dwell within us. And so approach the table of communion with excitement of your future in Christ, with thankfulness and gratitude for what he's done for you, and with an attitude of commitment to say, God, I want to live for you. And when we do that, we give thanks to God for all he's done. We express our gratefulness to him. And so you should all have a communion cup in the room here. If you're online, you should have some type of communion emblems. Worship team, I don't know if you guys want to come forward right now or you. All right. In the room, 
we've used these for a while now, and, and just if you're new, I want to explain it to you. This cup has like a thick plastic tab on the top, and there's also a little, real thin piece of plastic film. If you pull back that thin piece very carefully, what you'll do is you'll extend or expose the, the wafer that's on the top here. And you know, as Jesus said, this is my body given for you. We remember what really should have fallen upon us. But through his great love, we were able to avoid. Through his great love, that punishment's never going to fall upon us. So Father in heaven, God, we, we bow our heads now because Jesus is the one who bowed his head and gave up his spirit. God, we, we bow our heads in prayer, in, reven in reverence, in, in respect, and in awe, in adoration for the person of Jesus Christ and the words of Jesus Christ and, and tonight specifically remembering the cross of Jesus Christ. Jesus, the bread that we are about to partake of, it's, it's symbolic of your body the human body that you dwelt in among us sinlessly for 33 years. And Jesus, when, when you were crucified, you, you bore our sins. You bore our sins in your body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, as your word says. It is by your wounds that we are healed. You took our place and paid a price that we can never pay. And we give thanks now for that, God. We give thanks by remembering what you did and the moment that we received that truth into our souls. Thank you for giving your body for me, Lord. Thank you for giving your body for each one of us. We love you. Let's partake together. If you're in the room with me here, the thicker tab on the cup you got, just very carefully pull that thicker tab back and it'll expose the, the juice here in the communion cup. You know, and as I said, he said, look, this is the blood of the new covenant. Once for all, every sin that we've ever committed, every sin we ever will commit, God has already paid the price for and because of that, we're able to live a life free from the power of sin, the control of sin, the fear of sin. We're able to live lives not trying to earn God's love, but simply walking in that love and expressing our gratitude in how we live and how we obey him. The blood that he shed was so different than the old covenant because the old covenant just covered it up. The new covenant washed it away. When God looks at you and me through the blood of Christ, he sees perfection. He sees no sin. And if that isn't hard to swallow for you, you might have a pride problem. <laughs> because all of us are worthy of the punishment and worthy of the judgment, but God loved us so much, he said, no, I will pay the price. Father, we thank you. Jesus, the lover of our souls, we thank you. 
It was in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, that you looked into that cup that you would have to drink in order to redeem all of us from our sins. And God, what you knew that laid before you was so awful, you prayed, Abba, Father, (laughs) all these things are possible for you. Take this cup away from me. But God, we are so grateful that you also said, nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. And Jesus, you then did the hardest thing that has ever been done in time and eternity as you shed your blood to secure our salvation. All so that we could come to your table and partake of the cup in deep remembrance of what you did for us on the cross. Thank you so much, Lord Jesus. We love you. Let's partake together. pray that all of us would take the opportunity tomorrow in your expression of thankfulness and your gratitude for, for what Jesus has done for you to, to tell somebody that doesn't know about him, about the great love he has for them. It might be a family member, it might be a server at a restaurant, it might be a barista if you go to Starbucks, who knows. But take the opportunity to, to just tell them how grateful you are for the God of this universe who died for your soul, who changed your entire life, and let them know that no matter where they're at in their life, the same can apply to them, that they could receive the same salvation, the same forgiveness, the same freedom that is found in Jesus Christ. You know, tomorrow isn't about the food, even though we're gonna eat food. It's not even necessarily about the family, even though we're gonna be with family. It's about what God has done for us, in repairing every family, every relationship, every situation, every circumstance. And so take that opportunity to keep remembering him and, and, and just pray that God, Lord, keep me in that place, Lord, help me to remember that moment where you set me free from the world, where you set me free from my sin, where you changed my eternity forever. And then act, walk in obedience. Live a life that expresses how thankful you are to him for what he's done for you. And when you stumble and when you fall, claim his blood again because that stumble was already paid for and get up and keep walking in glory. God loves you guys. He loves us so much. And I don't think we often take the time enough to express how thankful we are for him and what he's done for us. But we do that now and so we're gonna close in worship And we usually close in one or two songs, but we're gonna be closing in a few songs tonight because I wanna give us all the opportunity to just reflect on who he is and express by throwing our arms up if that's what it is. God, we love you so much. We're so thankful. And I pray you guys have a blessed Thanksgiving and a blessed weekend and a blessed opportunity to share the hope that is in Jesus Christ with someone who doesn't know it. God, we thank you for everything. Lord, we love you. Lord, if we spent every moment of every day for eternity praising your name, it wouldn't be enough. But God, you don't lay any trip like that on us, Lord. You love it when we praise your name, God, and so we want to do that now and just to lift up our voices and our hands and to throw ourselves out in gratitude for who you are because, God, you are worth it. Thank you for loving us so much that you died for us. Help us, Lord, through the power of your Holy Spirit to live lives of gratitude 
in obedience to you. We love you and we thank you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.